The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. This episode was produced by Cabby Productions. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Conquest of Bliss. I am here with Rose, and I have known them for a very, very long time. So I'm very excited because it's been a long time since we've actually been able to connect. So each other in childhood at summer camp, and I uh, have had them on my Facebook for quite a while and just been watching, and you know, you know how I am. I just like to observe and and I think that uh, I think that they have a lot of really cool things to say so how are you today Rose I am sorry about the timing there (laughs) no no worries Um, no I'm doing really well I'm actually having a really awesome day so it's a good day to be on a happiness pod (laughs) so uh, do you want to elaborate why your day is awesome if you don't that's also fine um you know I uh, it's not really that uh, exciting I just I got to do everything I wanted to do today. I had a really nice workout. Um, I got a lot of work done. I I feel very productive. Um, And I just, I don't know, I've been having a good month, I guess. So (laughs) it's nice to sort of enjoy this continuation of good feelings. Yeah, you you sure have, according to Facebook. Um, I've been very much enjoying. So Rose recently got to marry the love of her life. That's so fantastic and makes me, makes me very happy. And, um, and you mentioned working out a little bit. So I've noticed, I've noticed you're fit as a fiddle. I watched you climb a wall. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so what kind of, what got you into um, like working out and stuff? Like what, uh, what led you there? Cause I know as a seven year old, you didn't do that. <laughs> I definitely did not. No, I actually, um, for most of my life, uh, through my teenage years and into my twenties, I was, uh, I was pretty sedentary. I, I didn't work out. Um, and I, I, I mostly just hung out and like watched TV. That was my life. And then I was also, but I was very, uh, I guess agitated a lot. I had a lot of uh, anxiety issues and a lot of anger issues. And I actually was, was dating a guy for a while, um, who was really into bikes. That was his whole thing. He just loved biking <laughs> and road bikes. And, uh, I had a bike accident and then I didn't want to get back on the bike. And then he sort of as a way of like healing from the trauma of the bike accident, we sort of like worked through like getting me a a road bike and like getting me into the sport. And I just fell head over heels in love with it. I just, I would, I used to go out and ride my bike like 40 or 50 miles a day. Um, And it's just when, when you're, when you're working out, especially like with like long distance workouts, you just, you can't think about anything else, right? You can't worry about your cares. You can't worry about, you can't be anxious, right? You can't be depressed. At least I, I find that I, I can't. Um, it's just, it's like meditative. And That's it, what I was just you can just, say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it also like, it sort of exhausts you. So when you get back, you know, you're too tired to be anxious. And I, um, I maybe do it a little bit too much sometimes, but there are, there are worse, worse things, I think, to overthink. <laughs> so, there absolutely, I- absolutely are worse things. I've been, um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, I've just been, recently really really looking at the smoking thing and, and everything like that and I know that it's a bad habit fills a very similar function but not the healthiest way to do it um so so I think that that's for uh, sorry just had kind of like a, an epiphany is like oh um and and I really loved what you said about it being meditative I think that a lot of people like so do you do you do traditional traditional meditation I do. Um, I try to meditate five to ten minutes every morning before I get started. Okay. So that's cool. That's I like it. I oh sorry. I get. Uh, oh, I was gonna say I, I get um, bored. I guess which is, is you know I guess that's the point. Um, <laughs> so I have to like sort of make myself do it. Uh, but, you know. I relate to that. I think a lot of us do. I mean, we we were born in this very very busy go 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 society, and then it's like. No, you need to stop and pause and just be and observe your thoughts. And it can feel like a lot, which is, which is kind of what I was going to say about the exercise is a lot of people don't realize, like they hear meditation and it's very scary because you, you just, you sit and you say, um, and you, you know, you just be. And, and I think that, well, that's very, very valuable. I enjoy meditation a lot. Um, I think that 
First of all, it's not the only way to meditate and people don't realize that. People don't realize that exercising or cooking or cleaning or, you know, um, being with your partner, different things can be meditative. Um, but I also think that it's worth noting that sometimes that's the perfect transition from the chaos of life is learning to meditate in ways where we are actively engaged so that we can learn what it's like to be at that kind of calm and peace. And then it's easier to do the ones where we don't have to be engaged. Yeah, I think that's that's totally right. Um, and I mean, the, the whole the whole idea behind meditation, right, is not, you know, it's not that you don't have to do it. You don't do anything or you don't think about anything. And I, I think people get this get this wrong. I think they think that, like, if they're meditating, they should be not thinking about anything or, or not, uh, you know, they, they can't be, you know, it's like a state of, of, of nothingness. And I mean, that's the ideal end goal, maybe. But the, the idea of meditation is you just have to be aware of what you're thinking. Right. So it's not about mm -hmm. not thinking because it's like, I don't know, it's like the pink elephants thing. Right. If I tell yes. you not to think about a pink elephant, that's all you're going to think about. But the same is true with meditating. If you're trying not to think about anything, all you're going to do is think and think and think. So the idea is to, to just step back and see the thoughts. They're going to they're gonna pass by you. They're going to float by you. And, and that's something that I've experienced with working out too, right? So I'll be, I, I was on a long run this morning and I was very grumpy and it was very hot <laughs> and I was having a bad, bad time. And all these thoughts were going through my head like, oh, this is the worst. Like, I can't do this. I'm too hot, blah, blah, blah. And the only way to get through something like that is you, you just have to watch those thoughts go by. You can't get you can't get caught up in them, right? You just have to mm -hmm. keep moving and just, just let it let it go by. Um, observe them, right? But but don't engage with them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and that's it's so true. Like interestingly, this is going to sound like it's off topic, but in my brain is connected, I promise. Um, <laughs> but someone recently told me that they see me as um, as being brave. I don't see myself as being brave at all because I use that technique when it's like, when something's scary, I go, okay, but like, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I just try to like step back and like see like, and my brain's freaking out, right? It's like, you're bad at this. You're not going to, you're not going to be successful. And like, look at all the consequences that could happen in the slippery slope fallacy and all of that stuff. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay. More nonsense from the nonsense machine in my head and <laughs> do it anyways. Right. Because it's like, it's like there's, there's two, well, I don't know. I don't want to say of us because maybe other people don't have this experience, but it's like, there's two of me. There's the one that's like all machine. Right. And it's just function. It's function is survival. And then there's the part of me that I don't know how to say it, the higher self, the part of me that can step back and observe when I'm meditating. And the part of me that, that isn't related to my body. It's not related to these things. And I've noticed that the, the machine part is so dumb. Like it's smart in some ways, but oh my God, it's so dumb. Like it's constantly looking for danger. And part of that has to do with trauma and all that fun stuff that we all have. But it's constantly looking for danger and looking for reasons to not. But that's not productive. So like I can kind of use the higher self to go, huh, and really like break things apart and have the conversation with people and then apply that trickily. Cause like basically my whole life is just tricking my brain. That's my whole life. That's the secret to success. <laughs> that sounds right. I, uh, I sometimes describe it as being a parent to my inner child. Mm. So um, I used to think that I had to like not be childish, that I had to not want to stay up late or like that, that uh, grownups were people who like just sort of had this intrinsic sense where they just knew what the right thing to do was. And they knew like, when to stop drinking or when to stop, I don't know, whatever it is that I'm doing too much of at the time. But I don't think that's true. I, I think that the the key is to know like what your, like you said, your machine self is going to want. It's, it's to, to watch what it's going to do and then be the grown up, right? At the same time mm -hmm. as you are being the child, you also have to be the grown up and you also have to be like, well, no, we're going to go to bed <laughs> on time, right? And once you like sort of make peace with that duality, you stop feeling like, like shame for for the feelings that you have and for the feelings that, that keep you alive, right? Because like you were saying, I mean, looking for danger, right? That's something that mm -hmm. has kept kept us alive for, for, for millennia. And you don't need to be ashamed of it, right? You don't need to be ashamed of your animal impulses, but you, you gotta you gotta manage them. You gotta mm -hmm. be a grown up sometimes. 
Well, and I mean, and I really, really love that example too, because at the same, okay, oh, so many reasons I love that example. Um, because first of all, as a, you know, as I'm not a parent, but I mean, I've, I've observed many parents were at that age. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, sometimes you let kids be kids. Sometimes you let your machine self be your machine self and do its thing. And like you said, like the shame piece is so huge. It is amazing to me, like, like mind blowing to me how many shame traps we have built. You know, it's like my hair is messy. I'm a bad person. You know, I'm wearing pajamas. I'm a bad person. I woke up late. I'm a bad person. Like, what is that? It's such nonsense. Uh, <laughs> um, but I just really love because like sometimes, you know, sometimes I need to let myself do the dumb thing. You know, sometimes I need to learn the lesson myself, even though everybody around me has warned me that it's a bad idea. And as a, you know, parent to our inner child, we have to let ourselves make mistakes sometimes and then comfort ourselves <laughs> and, and then heal, you know, and, and, and kiss it better and, and stuff like that. And that's, that's, oh, that's such a good, oh, that's such a good metaphor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't remember if I came up with that or not, but I'm going to, I'm just going to claim that one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, like you were saying about shame. I mean, shame doesn't, I mean, I, I think sometimes people, uh, I don't want to say people, I think sometimes I used to think that if I shamed myself, that would make me better. So if I like, um, let's say I ate too much candy and then I would be like, oh, shame on you. And I thought that that would make me not do it next time, but it doesn't. It, it just makes you feel shame and then that makes you upset and then that makes you want to eat more candy. And, mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't work with kids either, right? Like shaming kids does not work. You, you have to be, let them make mistakes and then be kind to them. And then the next time be like, hey, do you remember what happened last time? Maybe this mm -hmm. time we don't do that, right? <laughs> And oh, like, yeah, that's, oh, I'm loving this conversation. Um, yeah, like, like that's exactly it is it doesn't, it doesn't have the value we think it does. It helps us to sort of rein in the chaos. And, and the other thing that's always so interesting to me about shame, so interesting to me about shame is that like I used to tell myself, and I know other people I've talked to have had similar experiences. I used to tell myself, like, if I did something bad, well, at least if I feel shame, that proves I'm a good person. Like, I was, I spent so much time, like, weaponizing my own emotions against myself. Um, and I mean, I still do sometimes. But it's like, you know, like, or, or, you know, something happens and I'm sad to prove that I care. Like, or, <laughs> or I could care and not be miserable in, in a way that values, is valuable to know. <laughs> <laughs> like both can be true and it's it's really it's amazing it's amazing the it's amazing the popularity of the narrative you know it's amazing how like when you look at it critically it's so transparently inaccurate yet we all just eat it up like it's true <laughs> yeah. um so like where when did your because obviously you've, you've had a, a journey that's led you to really start to explore and understand your mind better. So when, when did that start? Was there something that triggered that or have you just always sort of been interested peripherally in the, the way the mind works and the body works and, and all of that? I, I think I've always been a little bit interested in it. I, um, on, on good days, I call it introspection. On bad days, I call it narcissism. Uh, <laughs> Navel-gazing maybe is the neutral term. But... <laughs> I think, I don't know, my, my mind is, is very interesting to me because I can't control it. And I'm, it seems like I should be able to, right? It seems like the one thing I should have control over is my mind, but, but I can't and I, I don't. And that, I find that like very curious. Um, and I, I think I always have. And then I, I also, um, I struggled a lot and still struggle with um, like different kinds of, of mental illness. Um, so I... I have anxiety, I have depression, um, I have an eating disorder, I have a, like a laundry list of, of things that are, that are wrong with me. And I could never afford a therapist. So I, I thought maybe um, if I could figure out how it worked, then I could fix it. And that's not the whole story, right? So like, <laughs> right, I went to, to undergrad for psychology and I learned a lot about um, that kind of stuff. And, and that by itself didn't fix it. But learning the, the mechanisms of the machine, right? So 
learning, you know, you put this in and you get this out um, was the first step. And then of course I had to do the stuff, right? <laughs> I had to, yep. <laughs> it was a lot of work on top of that. Um, but I think primarily that my, like the, in, the intensity of my, of my introspection came from just trying to fix myself and trying to figure out how to, how to not be miserable all the time because I just couldn't live that way. That, that is something that I relate to very hard. Like in some ways there's easy things to point to, but overall, so, you know, I have a CPSD, CPTS, CPTSD, um, anxiety. Uh, I don't know. I've had, I've had bouts of depression, but I, I've never, well, my diagnosis was very different when I was a drug addict and a teenager. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, same kind of thing. You know, I have interminable, um, like a laundry list and interminable. I'm trying to use that word because my friend, yeah, okay. Anyways, um, <laughs> I can figure out a better way to use that word. Uh, <laughs> um, but I have, I have a ton of, of illnesses as well. And it was the same kind of thing where it's like, gotta sort my shit out. Um, and, and I, I took a very similar approach where it's like, if I can, <laughs> if I can approach this academically and intellectually and understand it, at least, at least it's a starting point because all of these things, these, these biases and these cycles that we get caught in are, are exactly that. They're cycles, right? And, and without having a way to jump out, without having something to jump out with, then you're just kind of stuck. Like, it's like, you know, you can't jump off a carousel. You need, you need carousel. Yeah. Cause they're so fast and dangerous, um, <laughs> but you need, you need some way <laughs> to, to escape that. Um, I and, jump off one. It doesn't sound like a good plan. Well, yeah, I feel like it's not as dangerous as I made it seem like it would be, but more dangerous. Like I don't recommend it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, uh, Oh, I had a question and it faded away because I started picturing jumping off of a carousel. Dang it. Um, so would you say like in your experience, so I didn't know you undergrad um, cycle. I don't really know what undergrad means. I oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's college. I'm, I'm a graduate student. Um, so there's like regular college is, is undergrad because it's like pre-graduating. And then once you graduate, you go to graduate school if you're a nerd like me. Okay, so... I don't know if I'm ever going to fully understand. <laughs> oh, so, um, you know, there's like the normal, there's like a bachelor's degree. And then there's, um, if you want a master's degree or a PhD, that's graduate school. But like an oh. bachelor's degree is, is undergrad. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's the first four years of school, as long as you're doing more than four school, four years of school. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Look at me understanding things. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't know that, but I would ask you like if... And I always ask people these questions. They're not easy or necessarily valuable. So um, if there was one psychological tool that you found most useful in your personal life, what would that psychological tool be once you were able to master it or somewhat master it? I don't think I have mastered it, but I'm, I'm really fascinated by the cycle of reward. So that the way the brain responds to rewards Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is, I don't think it's a single tool. There's a lot of different ways of describing it, but basically at the, at the most basic level, um, your brain learns patterns by learning what it, when it gets what it wants. It wants dopamine, um, it wants serotonin. So it wants to feel happy, right? It wants mm -hmm. to feel pleasure, it wants to feel good. And if you do something that makes it feel good, then you're gonna wanna do that again, right? So uh, take the smoking example. Yeah. You smoke a cigarette, um, you, and it makes you feel calmer. It makes you feel better. It like it eases your anxiety a little bit. Um, speaking from my own experience. <laughs> and then your brain learns, oh hey, that felt good. And then the next time you see the box of cigarettes, you get a little tiny release of that chemical. Your brain's like, oh, dopamine. And you want the cigarettes, right? Yeah. Because your brain has learned that gets me what I want. And this yeah. explains like learning how these patterns work explains so much of the way that we that. One of my favorite facts about this. So um, imagine, so they, they do these experiments with rats where they, they put the rat in a, in a, um, like a cage and they give it a lever where it gets uh, a drug that it wants. Sometimes it's okay. cocaine. They use cocaine a lot. Um, <laughs> so the rat, puts, the rat pushes the lever. I'm sorry? I said that's that a badass. 
No, it's yeah, my, one, of my, one of my professors in college had a government grant to give cocaine to rats, um, which sounds like a great job. But so <laughs> you put the rat in the cage and the rat hits the lever and it gets a dose of cocaine. So say you, um, say you give the rat a dose every time it hits the lever mm-hmm. and then you stop, right? The rat's going to like hit the lever a few more times and then it's going to give up. It's going to be like, okay, there's no more cocaine coming out of this. I'm going to stop. It's going to wander off. Um, if you do it every three times or every four times or like on a, on a consistent schedule, then when you stop, the rat's going to hit it a lot more, right? Yeah. But eventually it's going to give up. It's going to be like, okay, well, it's not showing up. But if you do it randomly, right? So say you do it the third time and then you do it the 10th time and then you do it the second time. The rat will drive itself insane hitting the lever. You stop giving and it will keep hitting the lever over and over and over and over again because it never knows when the next one could be the right one. I am so excited right now. Oh my God. You might've just solved something for me. Okay. So side note, um, (laughs) sorry guys. So I have a new plan for my attempts to quit smoking. Mm. I am going to start scheduling my cigarettes so that I can take them away. Oh my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's a good plan. Well, I mean, it's worth a try, you know, other things haven't worked, but that might work. So I'm excited. Mm. Okay. Um, That, and that is really, really cool. Um, And I've always, I've always found it really fascinating too. And then, and then also inversely, how the brain deals with like, punishment as well is is also fascinating like the aversions that it creates like you know to avoid pain and and it's so interesting because like in a lot of ways pain is super super valuable um but the brain it don't want it it doesn't want it at all (laughs) um so oh god i really want to look up that experiment that's so cool um, I l- love psychological experience. I mean, they're always, almost always like super dark in the end and like, you know, <laughs> ethically questionable, but also so cool and interesting. <laughs> super neat. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so you did, you did four years of psychology or is it general studies with a focus on psychology? Um, so I actually did, I did five years because I spent some time digging around and just taking other stuff, <laughs> but, um, I actually did, I did a double major. Um, I started out, I wanted to do psychology and then I got really interested in philosophy while I was doing that. (laughs) Um, And then I ended up doing a double major in psychology and philosophy. Um, And now I'm in a graduate program. I'm getting a PhD in philosophy. Wow. (laughs) So I didn't realize that. (laughs) I really should like do proper research um, of my guests because it seems like people come on and I'm like, oh, wow, you like you because you like specifically went out of your way to tell me I'm no expert. You're more of an expert than most of the people that I know. Uh- <laughs> I'm not an expert on Aristotle. That was all I was trying to say. If you want to talk about like feminist philosophy, I think I think I'm an expert on that. <laughs> on what kind of philosophy? Uh, feminist philosophy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've definitely definitely noticed um, and appreciated your posts and uh, it's been, I mean, it's so cool. I don't know if you realize this, you probably don't. Um, and I imagine I'm not the only one is I've actually learned a lot from just being your Facebook friend, like from just peripherally seeing your posts and how you interact with people. That's such a great compliment. That's like, I don't think that there's anything you could have said that would have made me feel better than that. That's, I mean, I, I often think that my, um, my expertise is a little bit I mean, it, there's a reason it's called armchair philosophy, right? Like I, I sometimes feel like, like I'm not doing anything or like it doesn't mean anything. And then I think the most important thing I could possibly do is, is to teach other people. Um, and so that's, that's, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Like, well, it's, uh, I mean, yeah. And it's so funny. Like, okay. So yes, that's very, very much true, which is of course, you know, the biggest reason that I reached out to you is because I could see that you, uh, a solid head on your shoulders. Um, but, uh, I'm really, I get really awkward. Like I try not to be over complimenty, but like my nature is to just tell everyone that I think, you know, like how wonderful I think they are. Um, but I'm like, no, no, people don't like that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'm pretty sure people like it. Oh, okay. People pretend not to like it. And then it gets awkward <laughs> and it's weird. <laughs> those stupid, those stupid things that we build, these, these weird walls that we build so that we don't ever have to get too close to each other. Um, but, uh, 
Um, I was going to say though, like I always find that interesting because sometimes I'll get feedback that's similar from people. Maybe not that they've learned from me, but they appreciate this or whatever. I always find it interesting how how our impact in general seems to be so much larger than what we can see ever. Um, like just people existing as their, <laughs> sounds so cheesy, but as their authentic selves and trying to love and, and create space for, for dialogue and stuff like that, whether or not you actually directly interact with people can have a massive impact on, on the world around you. And that's just, what a miracle. Um, she says cheesily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a beautiful take especially because you you hear people like grumpy people saying like oh social media is bringing us farther apart or like oh the the internet and the age of connectivity is making us ignore each other and i i think that might be true in some ways but i think in a lot of ways like something closer to what you're saying is true we can have a much greater impact than we realize just from like you know i mean we we haven't spoken in 20 years and like but we have i mean we we know each other a little bit just through facebook and i i just think that's that's beautiful me too. And, and I mean, and I always, I always rail against people who, especially Facebook, who are like anti-faith. And I understand the thinking. But I think that if, this is going to be a bold statement, and if I offend anyone, I'm very sorry. But I think that those people just aren't actually making an effort to use Facebook efficiently. Because Facebook can absolutely be a nightmare full of horror stories, constantly depressing. But Facebook, like... I literally, literally rose and part of like 15 wholesome meme groups, like 15. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, like there's, there's a ton of people really, really trying to create positivity, create conversations, but also a part of a lot of groups that, you know, engage in philosoph philosophical discussions and, you know, debate ethics and, and all the things that I'm very, in obviously very interested in. Um, and, and honestly, like, Facebook brings me so much joy because I'm able to connect. I'm able to, you know, I mean, I live alone in a tiny little micro suite with my cat. If it weren't for Facebook, my socialization would be very, very minimal. So to me, it's a huge blessing. And I don't care if they steal all my data. I don't <laughs> care. Send me stuff. Yeah. Advertise what I want instead of random crap. I like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my, my partner once described the, um, the, uh, the algorithms that like pick up your data and like advertise you stuff. He described them as like, like, uh, beneficent little, little creatures that just want you to have what you want. Right. So like, you don't need to think about them as being evil. Like maybe the corporations are evil, but like the actual algorithm that, that, that like advertises you the perfect shoes, it, it just wants you to have, it noticed you like this other pair of shoes. So that maybe you would want this pair of shoes too. Like, and I thought that's like a really sweet way to look at it. Well, and, and I mean, the way, that, the way that I see it too, so I took some marketing courses and stuff. I um, hated it, just to be clear. But I, I took some marketing courses and stuff and I kind of have, I mean, I haven't ever like officially studied anything besides high school, but like peripherally, you know, spent the Google, Google holes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the way that I see it is like, I would prefer that they're listening to what I want instead of trying to manipulate me into wanting something that I don't, right? And that's traditional advertising is, hey, you're too fat, buy our weight loss pills. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if, if it's something that I've already expressed that I want, you know, out loud, but not on Facebook to my friend and it was listening in, um, <laughs> and then it, it gives me that, I feel like it's more like, it feels more equitable, yeah, I think that's that's a really good observation. I never really thought about it that way. But I mean, you're right. I've I've found so many like little companies that I never would have heard of um, through just Facebook advertising. And I mean, I'm sure if they're advertising on Facebook, they're not that little, right? But like, I, and I don't know. I, I saw something a while ago about how like Yelp had the reason why like millennials are killing Applebee's or whatever people used to say. It's, it's <laughs> not killing everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we are just genocide for capitalism. <laughs> but like the reason, capitalism. <laughs> the reason why, um, like, I don't know, big chains are not doing as well is because people can now go online and they can find local places based on their reviews. So you go to a new place and if you don't know any of the restaurants, you're just going to go, maybe you'll just go somewhere that you know is like every Applebee's tastes the same, right? So, mm -hmm. but if you go someplace and you have, you know, Yelp or, or um, I don't know any of the other 
review sites, but Google reviews or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And you have access to like a network of information about the local places, then you don't have to go somewhere that's mediocre. You can go somewhere that's great. You can try something new. And I thought that was a really good take on it. And and it's just sort of the same phenomenon you're talking about, right? It's like helping me find things that I actually want rather than trying to like, I don't know, go with what I'm used to or selling me something I don't want, right? Yeah, like forcing you to settle for for what you're told that you want. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and I mean, I'm glad, honestly, person, I don't even care. Um, I'm glad that we're killing capitalism burn it to the ground. I hate capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, know, I didn't know how leftist this podcast was. I didn't want to start throwing Molotovs, but yeah, capitalism is evil. Um, an argument for me there. Honestly, it's so funny. Okay, so like, you know that I'm here in Canada. Oh, very interesting thing about Rose is that she's a fellow Canadian, but she doesn't live here, but she's still a fellow Canadian and that makes me happy. Um, so, um, Sorry, we being- can't together. Oh yeah. Okay. I guess that was obvious, but I was just really excited. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She came all the way from the States for summer camp uh, in Northern BC in the middle of nowhere. Uh, (laughs) um, But uh, the, the the funny thing is, so because I'm Canadian, so, but a lot of my friends are American and I've been, you know, doing those poly political tests um, because I don't have a good reason. I'm just, I just do them sometimes a lot. And, and almost always it says I'm a communist. And I think it's <laughs> so funny because it's compared to American politics, right? Like, yeah. so like on the American scale, like I'm a fucking commie, but in, in Canada, I'm considered like left for sure, especially economically. I'm considered left, but I'm not a communist, but I just think that's, re- it makes me laugh every time because <laughs> Yeah. Things are pretty dark here. Our our most leftist candidate that was viable is like center right. So like Bernie Sanders, if you take any like reasonable, he's, well, I guess he's like center left, but that's, that's like, that's who we consider. That's who the America considers like the crazy Dream. far left wing is like a guy who's like, maybe we shouldn't let people die of cancer when they, when there's treatments for it. Like what? Oh my God. Uh, Burn him. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you I don't know if you saw the post I made this morning talking about um, talking about when we appreciate things and whether or not it's appropriate to say those things if we know that other people are lacking them. Um, <clears throat> actually, I think I asked if it's tacky or not, but uh, in fact, I know I did. Why did I say I think? I don't know. Whatever. doesn't matter. Um, but the thing that drove that post, although people people seem to think it was because I don't have kids. But it wasn't about kids. I just used that as an example. The thing that drove that post is I was thinking this morning about, like, with all the health issues that I told you about, I was just thinking about how fucking grateful I am that I'm in Canada because, I mean, because I was telling, I was listing the specialists that I've had to see <laughs> to someone. And, and it was an American that I was talking to. And I realized as I was talking, I was like, like, to an American mind, like, that just sounds unreal and expensive. Right. Because like, I mean, there's like, there's like seven different specialists I've seen in the last five years on top of regular GP visits and everything like that. And I've gotten like an MRI and I've gotten CT scans and PET scans and CAT scans and, you know, all the, the scans and stuff. And, and I, I just, sometimes I just stop and I just think, I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine assuming that daring to get sick would be a life debt sentence. Like it just, oh, it breaks my heart. I don't think this is very happy though. Um. <laughs> I was thinking of a way of bringing it back to the happiest conversation. Um, I mean, you could talk, we could talk about like how, how happy America is relative to the rest of the world. Um, because I do think if you have, you know, all the stuff that I was saying, what we were saying earlier about like meditation and like learning yourself. I mean, all that only goes so far, you know, when, when there is no social safety net. Um, when you know the wealth divide is so extreme when you you know you can't maybe can't afford to put food on the table um and like i don't know i was talking about how um i i you know i got really into biking when i was younger i was in a really horrible accident where um i was in a hit and run and some some truck just hit me and like left me on the side of the road in the middle of the night oh my god i was i was fine fortunately but i went to the hospital just to make sure i didn't have any broken bones and i didn't have health insurance 
So I ended up paying, I think, $3,000 or $3,500 just to go to the hospital for them to tell me I didn't have any, any broken bones. And like this, it was, it's just like this thing that makes me so happy riding my bike. And then like one bad thing happens and now I have like $3,500 in debt. Like what? This country clearly does not value happiness, right? It clearly does not value, it doesn't want to support me, right? <laughs> well, and, and I mean, I think that that, that is really the crux of the issue. Like as, as everything has been changing the way it has, I've been really observing a lot of the differences between the Canadian and American culture. And I think that ultimately what it comes down to is as much as individualism has been in, in many ways very good for the American culture and the, Amer- the average American individual in some ways, individual, individualism has been really helpful in all that jazz. On the other hand, humans are not lone wolves. We are not a species that can prosper on our own. We, we need other people. We need validation from other people. We need interdependence with other people. We need, we need community. And, and so it's been really, I, I've noticed like a lot of my American friends, and most of my American friends are more left-leaning than they are right-leaning. Some are right-leaning. <clears throat> Most are more left-leaning socially this way. And I'm watching this struggle because the culture and the society and the government and the school system is all very, very heavily individualism. Not only like with the individual, but also like America first and, and all of that stuff. Like it's, it's on every level where it's like freedom. I mean, oh, okay, I'm not even going to get into that. I have too many Americans that listen for me to get into that. Um, <laughs> But the, but it's also what hurts because then, because then people are left believing that they should be able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They should be able to take care of everything themselves. They should. And Canada has that too. So I'm not going to pretend like we're all like, you know, we're not, we're not the Nordic region. Okay. We've, <laughs> we've got, we've got some, some of the same, the same stuff, but not to the same degree. You know, like the Canadian government will, well, it's very far from perfect. I would say that I view its main purpose as, as, as serving the people. You know, like if corporations fuck over the, the citizens, they're like, oh, hell no, you owe everybody money. You know, um, so, so like, it, like my, I, guess what, okay, I guess what I'm trying to say, because I do have a point, is it's okay to not be a rock, an island. I am a rock. It's not, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to need. It's okay it's okay to want to give too. Like that's another thing that I found is really hard with the individual. And I struggle with this too, is not only is it hard to receive and it is very, very hard to receive, but it's hard to want to give because you're afraid that people are going to take advantage of you or you're afraid that you're going to be looked at as a doormat or you're afraid of, you know, like these billion things or people think that you're just trying to buy their friendship, whether it's like, if it's money, I guess, but you know, and no, no, like that's all bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's literally what it is to be human. Do you have any thoughts? Because I've talked for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I, that's, I, I liked everything that you said. I thought that was really, um, it's really insightful, right? That the individualistic, the individualistic culture um, is really bad for a lot of these things that we take as like fundamental human capacities. So I figured I was going to talk about Aristotle at some point. So, so I'll do that. I'll do that Perfect. now. Um, so Aristotle had this view on happiness where he thought that all of us have these sort of like natural capacities or like natural abilities, right? Um, so there's like what it is to be human gives you like this set of natural um, tendencies and abilities. And they're a little bit different for every person, right? So like I might be a little bit more... Um, I don't know, I'm a little bit more ambitious than somebody else, but they might be a little bit more generous than me, right? But what distinguishes us, what distinguishes humans from like other kinds of beings in the world is the ability to look at all of our impulses, right? And look at all of our tendencies and uh, order them, right? So like we say like, this is what I should be doing now, or this is what I should be doing now. Mm-hmm. And other other kinds of animals can't can't do that, right? So according to Aristotle, the best way to be happy is if you 
are able to do that in a way that expresses your natural human capacities the best, right? So you be the best version of yourself. You be the best version of a human and the best version of you as a human that you can. And then that will make you happy. And I think that's beautiful. I mean, Aristotle was like 2,500 years ago, right? So um, very dead, very white really? guy. Was that long ago? Yeah, this was ancient Greece. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's just something so insightful about that, right? Because part of that part of that idea is about like working with the what you're given, right? It's dealing the hand mm-hmm. that you're dealt. But meeting part of it is also, where we're at. <laughs> sorry? I said meeting ourselves where we're at. Exactly, right? But but part of it is also about like embracing, you know, what is what is so beautiful and unique about being human and embracing the idea that you know, we have these, these like characteristically human capacities, right? He talks about like characteristic capacities a lot. Um, we have the ability to be generous. We have the ability to be part of a community and like embracing that and, and perfecting that is really what we're here to do. And, and that's what makes us happy. And it all comes together as like our purpose and also our like best life all comes together. And I, this is the only thing I know about the philosophy of happiness, but I think that's all I need to know. I really like it. I I really like that too. And I really liked um I really liked the way that you said I might be more ambitious, but someone else might be more generous. Because, because I feel like ambition is moralized a lot and it needn't be. Um so I just love that you said that with no judgment at all. Um because yeah, that's another another of the Oh man, okay. I'm stuck on how Aristotle is basically immortal. Um, uh, <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> um, but I just, I just love that because because we don't have to be each other to be happy. In fact, we do a much better job when we, like you said, like just be ourselves and and really critically examine who are we, what what are what are our strengths. I don't normally pronounce our and our differently, but it felt necessary. Um, like what are our sounded weird. Um, but what are our, okay. You know what I was going to say? I'm just going to stop. Um, <laughs> it sounds very Southern. So I'm picking up what you're putting down, <laughs> but, uh, asking what our strengths are. That's how I can do it, what our strengths are. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, really exciting. Like for me, I mean, my strengths probably would be questions, people, connection, you know, not so good with the whole discipline thing. Um, (laughs) you know, but that doesn't make me a bad person. It just makes me maybe a little little chaotic. (laughs) You know, that doesn't have to be. Yeah. And I I think that's, I I love what you said about how like, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person. Right. But like, just to bring it back to like what we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast um, Mm -hmm. about like observing, you know, who you are and the kinds of reactions that you have and the kinds of thoughts that you have. I mean, chaotic is only a problem if it gets in the way of what you want, right? If it gets in the way of you achieving what you want to do or like becoming the kind of person you want to be. And so you got to be aware, right? If that's a tendency that you have, you got to be aware of it and you've got to be willing to like, parent that part of yourself, maybe a little bit differently than someone who doesn't have those inclinations might be. But that doesn't yes. need to be moralistic, right? It doesn't need to be, you don't need to feel shame about it. It doesn't make you a bad person. You just got to be like, here's here's what I'm dealing with. Here are my natural capacities. How do I become the best person? That's so true and so good. Oh, and my chair squeaking. Okay. still. <laughs> um, that's so true. So like, oh, I love the parenting so much um because like for for in my own life an example that I would use is so like you know I I lack discipline so I've known this for a very long time um and and of course you know like I mentioned earlier so like I work from home and live alone so it's not like I have that you know other person to kind of like I mean I, I feed Oscar every day you know like but other than that that's my cat I feel like I've mentioned him an awful lot um but talk about him more I don't mind (laughs) but I've, uh, I've got to, I've got to like come up with these like little hacks to like, you know, like, I mean, for example, I have two glasses, two small plates, two large plates, two forks, two two small spoons, two large spoons. So you know what I never have? A full sink of dirty dishes because I, (laughs) I can't 
have a full sink of dirty dishes. So, you know, that's just one example of little hacks. And and a lot of people find it weird. They're like, well, what if you have two people over? I'm like, we'll go out, you know, Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, because, because like, like, okay, I'm trying to explain what I'm thinking and it's, you know, kind of there, but it's not words yet. Um, So it's like for, for the longest time, I was always worried about like, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be the odd one out. And I mean, you know me, I have always been weird. Like since I was very, very young, I have been, people might say obnoxious. I like to say theatrical. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, so like, and so I've always been afraid of being weird and being different. But at the end of the day, if you find something that works for you, be different. You know, like I would rather be happy and weird than normal and miserable. That is a beautiful sentiment. And like, I, I know I know why people don't want to be weird. And I mean, I, I feel the pull of that too. I mean, it's like you were saying about community. We need to be a part of a community. We need to feel like we have others who are in our corner who support us. And I think there's this worry sometimes that if you're too weird um, or too different, then, then you will get kicked out and left in the cold. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've experienced that, like people like just hanging around the wrong kind of people, you know, and then like, mm-hmm. And I think that just means that you need different people. You need better people in your life. Um, because the right kind of people, you know, are either you're kind of weird or they're okay with it. And, you know, they, they embrace the fact that we're not all the same. Well, and, and that's actually like exactly, exactly my experience as well is, so I've definitely been ousted. Um, which that was one of the words people suggested I throw into the podcast because I think it was good use. Um, but I've definitely been ousted for different things. Um, but at the same time, when you when you meet people who meet you where you're at, whether they're the same kind of weird or not, and I've yet to meet people who are the same kind of weird as well. That's not true. I have one friend. Um, and that's a lot. I've never even, that's I've never even met him in person. but I have a lot of friends that just accept me for who I am and and they're real with me and like there's a lot of benefit of the doubt there where if they say something that could be taken offensive or I say something that could be taken offensive the trust is there that we assume that you mean the non-offensive version of whatever it is that you said um and it it just goes so far um okay so oh sorry oh I was gonna say philosophers call that the principle of charity uh, whatever, whenever you are listening to someone or reading someone's work, you should always assume the best version of what they said. That's all. Oh, I love that principle of charity. I'm going to remember. Well, okay. Lord knows I'm not going to remember it, but I'm going to try. Um, so before, before we play the game, um, is there anything that you want to add or plug or, you know, a book recommendations I've had people do? There's literally, like, whatever you want to say to fill space while I look up what I'm looking up. Mm. <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> um, well, I don't, like I said, I, I don't consider my, myself an expert on happiness. Um, but I, I do think of myself as a, a pretty happy person, and that's not something that I would have always said. Um, it took me a lot of work to get here. And one of the most useful things I've ever encountered on the subject of happiness um, was by um, the the comic comic strip artist the oatmeal and he has this comic about how he doesn't feel happy a lot of the time he struggles with depression and he doesn't feel like euphoric or or bright or cheerful but happiness for him isn't about feeling a certain way all the time mm-hmm. it's about living a life that he's comfortable with that he's having things that he can look forward to having people that are important to him it's about having pieces in his life that are good feel happier to be positive see those those t-shirts that say like good vibes only. Right. And I don't know. I think that's kind of messed up. And I think that, you know, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. You you don't need to work towards good feelings. You need to work towards having a livable life. And that's what happiness is about. I so agree. (laughs) Mic drop. Uh, (laughs) I I so agree with what you, what you just said. And, and that's something that I really subscribe to? I don't know if that's the right word. Ascribe to? No, ascribe is different. Subscribe? Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. Something I believe. Um, I think it's subscribe. Uh, (laughs) There's so many scribe words. But (laughs) anyways, um, the thing that I really believe too is that 
Happiness isn't a lack of negative emotions. It's having the skills to move through your negative emotions and contentedness overall. That's, um, you said that way better than I did. That's totally, yeah, good. <laughs> um, okay, so what we're going to do today is I'm going to read Kiwi slang, and that's what it says on here. This is New Zealand slang, slang. I hope that Kiwi isn't offensive. I'm very sorry if it is. Um, but New Zealand slang. <laughs> I don't think it is. I am very sorry. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and she's going to guess what they are. So, kiwi. Um, a kiwi is... I w- okay, so it's kiwi slang, so I'm guessing a kiwi is a, a person from New Zealand? Yeah, it's a New Zealander. Okay, great. Um, oh, I think it was at summer camp, I remember asking what people from New Zealand were called. There was someone from New Zealand there, and he's like, it's a New Zealander. Like, oh, like I remembered it so clearly because he was so judgmental. Um, And I was like, Ken, you know? Uh, (laughs) um, Okay, uh, Wop Wops. Oh, God. Um, Flat tires. It's the middle of nowhere or the sticks. Oh, like the boonies. Okay. (laughs) Um, Chili bin. Chili bin? Chili bin. Chili bin. Um, the fridge? The refrigerator? It's a cooler. It's like oh. a portable cooler. Um, jandals. Wearing sandals and jeans together. Oh, that's a great guess, but it just means flip-flops. Oh. Um, sure. I'm probably butchering these. How do you spell that? C-H-U-R. Food. Means thanks. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have guessed that either. Um, and last one, stubby. Stubby? Like with an E? I-E. Um, oh, shit. I forgot what it was already. Oh, no, I remember. Okay. I'm going to say like grumpy, stubborn. No, it means beer. Oh, okay. So you say stubby in the chili bin. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, Rose. Oh, sorry? No, nothing. Okay. <laughs> um, just so everyone knows, we've been having a little bit of lag. I, I know that I sometimes cut people off anyways, but this time it was totally innocent. Um, <laughs> this time. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Rose. I appreciate your time just so much. Thank you for having me. This was really lovely and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much too. And to my listeners, I love you. Bye. Thank you.